0: This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Go with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12. Now, if you've been here for the last, this will be the third week, we've been talking about understanding God. And a lot of times God gets blamed for stuff that God has nothing to do with. And understand this, just because God has a will... And just because God knows what's best, sometimes those things don't happen here on earth. And oftentimes, people will say stuff like this, well, God allowed it, if to say God gave permission to it. But understand again, biblically, in John John 10, 10, it says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I came to give you life and that more abundantly. So when we think about some of those things that we've talked about, bad things can happen to good people. But usually, not always, and get get what I just said there, not always, bad things are a result of my choices. And with every action, there are certain consequences that go with the actions. And so just think back in your life. Most of the time when trouble comes in my life, it was a result of my choices. The things that I was doing, how I was living... And so we want to talk about that a little bit more because we've got to understand God. He is a good, good father. In, in John 10, 11, it says he's the good shepherd. In Psalm 34, it said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It doesn't say, Oh, taste and see and the Lord is a bad dude. He didn't say that. He said he's good. And so let's go a little farther as we dig in here tonight to understand we play a part in this. Hebrews 10 We begin in verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness. Now, what that's talking about, in the heavenlies right now, there's the, the pioneers of faith. There is the men and women who we could call the veterans of faith. And they're there because they were successful overcomers. They were people that trusted God. And whether you realize it or not, they're watching us right now. And I believe they're cheering us on and they're saying, go fight the good fight of faith, run the race. And so this is what this is talking about. Then he goes on to say, We're, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witness. Let us, me and you, lay aside or put away every weight. Now that becomes a choice to me. Now, when we talk about a weight right here, there are certain things that will weigh us down, that will get us off track. A couple of those things that jump to my mind immediately: one is people. Sometimes we have people that we call friends, but every time you get around them, they pull you down. I like to say it this way: you run with the snakes, you're going to get bit. And so sometimes, guys, you got to break up. You're addicted to stupid people. Break up with them. And I don't mean that ugly because I've been that way before also. But that's a weight. Another thing can be the activities of my life. That I get so busy with life that it becomes a weight. Also, addictions. In a lot of different categories, I can be addicted to so many things and it pulls me down. So these are weights. But if you'll know right there in your Bible, the very next word, it says, and. And the sin. The New Living says, especially the sin which so easily ensnares us. So we are to lay aside anything that hinders our progress, and particularly every form of sin. Now, he tells me something right there that he said, whether it's the weight in my life or the sin of my life, The goal of it is to easily ensnare you, to trap you, to pull you down. And this is what the the, the devil wants to happen to every one of us. And so what happens with sin on our life? When we sin, it's the one thing that separates us from God. It breaks our relationship with God. That's the first negative of it. The second negative of it is uh, Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin... Is death. The compensation of sin. You're going to be paid for the things you do. And so we begin to get a hold of this and say, Man, those things are going to try to easily entangle me. Now watch where he goes with this. He says, And let us run with endurance. Let me and you run in a steady way, a persistent way, a progressive way. The race that is set before us. You know what the race that's set before you is? A thing called life. And when I think about the race that's set before us, guys, it's not its not 100 meters. It is literally a marathon. It's day by day by day by day. And I wish I could tell you that every day is going to be just this great bed of rose and it's going to be easy, but that's not how it's going to be. There's going to be days that are going to be easier in your, in, than others. But man, I just keep running the race. I keep running the race. How I many have ever run a race and man, you got a lap to go, and all of a sudden you get a stitch in your side, and everything in you says, Quit, give up. But something other on the inside takes over, and you just gut it, you just grind on through, and you make it. Well, there's days like that, even spiritually, that sometimes you just got to buckle down and say, You know what, I'm going to keep running the race. Verse 2 Looking, that word looking. It signifies my undivided attention. It signifies staying away from distractions, looking unto Jesus. That's what I got to do. I got to keep my eyes on Jesus. Why? It says, He's the author, He's the originator, He's the finisher, He's the perfecter of our faith. Who, for the joy that was set before Him, Jesus endured to the cross, despising the shame. And he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know why he sat down at the right hand of the Father? Because you don't sit down until the job's finished. And Jesus succeeded. And remember his words on the cross. He said, it is finished. It's a done deal. So understand right here, we look to Jesus, but Jesus has done everything for us that he's going to do. And so how does that look? Well, remember a week ago we talked about in Matthew 16, 19. Jesus himself said, I give you the keys of the kingdom. I give you. The keys represent authority. Our authority is in the name of Jesus. That verse goes on to say, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. The word loose means to, to, to unlock. The worst bind means to lock. And so again, it's all in the name of Jesus. Everything I do is in the name of Jesus. Use that name. Use it and use it and speak it. Verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And literally what this is talking about, others have suffered a lot worse than me and you. Sometimes we think we have it so bad... I encourage you, go read the the Faith Hall of Fame there in Hebrews 11 and go look at some of the stuff that happened to those people. Man, it was incredible how many of them died. And so this is a warning. We're going to go through some rough times. He goes on to say in verse 5, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as the sons. You're regarded as sons to God. When you give your heart to Jesus, you are now a son and a daughter of God. Now, being a son and a daughter of God, look what it says that God will do with us, starting in verse 5. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and he scourges every son whom he receives. Now, the three words he used there are all types of discipline. The word chastening there, what he's talking about, it literally means to instruct. It's like the disciplining of a child. One of the the first things you do to discipline a child is you instruct them with their wrong. The second word he gives right here in the Greek is the word rebuke. The word rebuke means to verbally a, a correct. You look and say, don't do that. How does God verbally correct me and you? With the word. And the last one is, he scourges us and that literally means physical discipline. Now when I look at everything that he talks about here in verse verse 5 and 6, God disciplines, he corrects, he rebukes those that he loves. If he didn't love you, He wouldn't correct you. He wouldn't do any of that. And so it's just like a parent. A loving and a a caring mother and father are charged to discipline their children. How many of you ever remember when your parents disciplined you? Or maybe you remember saying this to your children. I love you so much that I'm going to discipline you. I remember when my dad would tell me that, I would look at him and say, well don't love me that much (laughs) I, i don't want that to happen but again watch how the scripture teaches us in this passage here and remember to whom god loves he's going to correct us verse seven if you endure chastening or training god deals with you as with sons For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline or correcting? So the ultimate goal of Father God's correcting is to get me and you to repent and to turn from our ways, to alter our course. And really when you look at this with Father God, it's like it's a two-sided coin. On this side there's blessings and on this side there's correction. And you know what I found? I'm never going to get to the blessing side until I welcome and I receive God's correcting like he told me right here. And he deals with us as children. Verse 8. But if you are without chastening or correcting. Of which all have become partakers. Then you are illegitimate and not sons. And so when he talks about this. If you're not open to God's correction. Then you're not a son. And it becomes a choice. Verse 9. Furthermore. We have had human fathers who corrected us. Yes, we have. And we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? And so right here, I I use the analogy that that God does right here through his word. And And a parent that does not discipline his children is irresponsible. But God corrects us also. And if God didn't, he would be irresponsible. You know, as human beings... We do well with instruction. We do well when we know there's, there's borders around us. Every one of us in here, just think about this. When you're driving down a highway and you see a speed limit sign of 75, it gives you a, a boundary. This is what you can do and can't do. I can tell you right now, it's a choice. You don't have to do You can go 85 if you want. But understand, there's going to be consequences for your choices. No one made that car go faster but you. That's very similar to the kingdom of God. God puts perimeters around us through his word. And he says, man, live within them. And, and again, when God corrects us, it's not to punish us. It's not for him to be ugly to us or, or mean. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago thinking this thought again, as a parent, would you tell your little six-year-old to not ride his bike in the street because you were mad at him, because you wanted to punish him? Or because you did it out of a motive of love. I tell my children. Don't ride your bike in the street. Because I love you. I want your life. To be well. It's the same with Father God. Exactly the same. Keep reading. Verse 10. For they indeed for a few days chastened or corrected us. And it seemed best to them. But he for our profit. That we may be takers of his holiness. Now there's a nugget there that. The the correcting of God, it leads us into a holy life. And when I read that verse right there, there are no shortcuts to it. There was no other option. He said, I'm going to correct you and I'm going to discipline you. And the only way we walk in that holiness is to obey this. Verse 11. Now, no chasing or correcting seems to be joyful for the present. It's not a lot of fun for the present. But painful. Nevertheless, afterward, afterward, after you've been corrected, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. And so when we start looking at this, this was God's uh, His, His desire for every one of us to correct us. But how and what I do with that correction is my choice. I don't have to obey that, but again... There's going to be consequences. Now, I want you to go to the book of Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And as you're turning there, the goal for all this is that we become well-trained and we become mature in our relationship with God. Everything's to maturity. It's to help us. Luke chapter 10. We will begin in verse number 38. It's a good passage here. Now, remember, as you're turning there, the weights that try to easily ensnare us, the weights that try to entrap us. Begin verse 38. Now, it happened as they went that Jesus entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Martha had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. The message says that she hung on every word that Jesus said. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Martha was pulled away with much serving. The things that try to easily ensnare us or trap us. Martha was captured by maybe performance, maybe achievement. And oftentimes in our lives, we do what we see instant results with. And what I mean by that, if I go out and mow the lawn, man, after I'm done, I look and think, wow, the lawn looks good. I can paint a wall and I can see, woo, it looks good. I can do the dishes and think, thank God they're done for another day. But oftentimes, when we do the word of God, we may not see instant results or instant changes. And many times in our life, we don't like that. We want stuff. We got to have it now. We got to have it now. It's interesting there that in in um, Hebrews six it says that through faith and patience we inherit. And I don't know about you, but I hate that word patience at times. But I realize that's part of the process. So here's this woman named Martha, and she's distracted. And we keep reading to verse forty. And she's distracted with much serving. And she approached Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Now, I believe when I read this, she had good intentions. And understand the things that try to easily ensnare us, they may not be bad things. They may not even be sinful things. But there are always things that try to get us off of course. So Jesus here in verse 41 answers her and he says, Martha, Martha. Now, when I read that Martha, Martha, it's just almost soothing me. I can hear him look at her and say, Martha, Martha. Just chill, darling, okay? You're, you're, you're way too stressful in this. Martha. Martha. You are worried or anxious, and you're troubled about many things. So right here again, Jesus lets us know that those things have entangled her. Those are the things that have entrapped her. Those are the things that got her off. Now watch this in verse 42. But one thing is needed. Not a hundred Jesus doesn't give her a 100-point sermon. He said, darling, just one thing is needed. Now, watch what goes on here. And Mary has chosen the good part. And Mary has chosen what is essential. Mary has chosen the main course. Mary's figured it out, which will not be taken from her. Now, the one word in there that me and you got to understand right here in this whole passage, especially verse 42. Mary... Has chosen. Mary made a choice. Just like me and you have the same opportunity. And guess what? God's an equal opportunity God. He gives us all 24 hours a day. And we get to decide what we're going to do with it. But it's very interesting here that Jesus himself. He commends Mary and says, girl, you got it figured out. And what did she figure out? Well, if you go back and read it, verse 39, it says, She sat at the feet of Jesus, she got into the presence of the Lord, and she heard His word. She heard His word. And so, the difference in between both of them was their choices. Again, what Martha was doing wasn't a bad thing. But it was a trap that tried to easily ensnare her and get her off course. And that happens to every one of us. Now think just a second. What are the things in your life that try to easily ensnare you? You know, every sacrifice is based on preference. The Bible's very clear that God desires obedience more than sacrifice. And so I, I can tell you this right now, guys. There's things that will happen in my day. And I try to justify them that I got to get that done. I got to get it done. But every time I think about this, I have to look and say, what's first? What's essential? You know what's essential for you and me? We take time to get in the presence of the Lord. We take time to say, oh, Father God, I adore you today. I honor you today. I thank you today. I thank you today. It's amazing to me at times when I begin to praise God and I thank him. You know what will come out of my mouth? I thank you, Father God, for my clothes. I thank you, Father God, I got more shoes than I know what to do with. I thank you, Father God, I've got a refrigerator with food. I thank you, Father God, that I've got a car and it's got gas. in it. I thank you, Father God, that I've got a soft bed and a pillow. I thank you, Father God, that when I stand in my shower, I have hot water. I th- and so you know what ultimately starts coming out of me? Praise and honor for the little things, the necessity of life, that oftentimes we just overlook. And I think we overlook them because we're Americans and we're spoiled and we're so blessed. It's like, hey, I ought to have that. I ought to have nothing. But because of the goodness of God. Now go with me to, to Matthew 7. And we're going to try to wind this down tonight because Cosmo has got to get married. Going to the chapel. Matthew 7. Matthew 7. Going to be a good night. You know, I have to analyze my life all the time in those things. What's priority? What's priority? What's priority? Remember, Jesus said this in Matthew 4.4. He said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Again, you've heard me quote this. Smith Wigglesworth says this. That we feed our our natural man, our physical man, three hot meals a day. And we feed our spirit man, our our, our heart, one cold snack a week. And we wonder why we're starving to death spiritually. And when I say that, that's a choice for me. That's a choice what I feed my spirit on a daily basis. Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. I'm going to read both verses, then we're going to come back and look at it real quick. Enter by the narrow gate. It's almost like Jesus has given me the answer right there. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad or wide is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult, hard, compressed is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Now, in this passage right here, Jesus lists two gates, or two roads, two highways. Two highways. One, he said, is this wide road. It's broad. It's easy. And many are on it. The majority of our people are on it. But it's the road that leads to death. But there's this other road called the narrow road. And he said it's difficult. It's vigorous. It's not always easy. And few are on it. But the few that are on it... They find life. They get to live life. And I believe every bit of that is you choose which gate you're on. You choose which road you're going to go on. And the thing about us, it's so easy to get caught on what the majority's doing. But you know what? The majority aren't always right. Just read this passage right here and you'll understand what Jesus is saying. And so he's telling me, I, I got to get on that narrow road i got to stay on that road. And the way I do it is not only do I hear the Word of God, I begin to obey the Word of God. And I'll tell you this right now, you're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be persecuted for obeying the Word of God. How many of have ever said something around a, a non-believer at work about the things of God and they look at you and you say, they say, You do that? Yeah, absolutely. I love to do that. I love to honor the Word of God. See, this is what he's talking about. There's a narrow road. There's a narrow gate. Keep reading as we jump to, to verse 21. Now, watch this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. That'll rock your theology right there. Actually, one translation says that people oftentimes that will say, Lord, Lord, they think that is the correct password. They think that's all they have to say and say, you know what, I'm ha <laughs> heaven bound. That's not true. Look look what Jesus says here. Now understand, this isn't pastor. This is the B-I-B-L-E, okay? So it reads the same for me. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But He who does the will of my Father in heaven, actually he obeys. And so we jump back to verse 13. The way you stay on the narrow gate is in my obedience, not just in my talking. Verse 22. Many, not a few, but many in that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And done many wonders in your name? Did we not do all these things? And then Jesus said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. You know what one translation says for that verse right there? You used me to make yourself important. Whoa. Whoa. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me you who practice lawlessness, you who disregarded my commands, you who lived in a wicked sense. And so when I look at that, combined with verses 13 and 14, it's all a choice. It's a choice how I'm going to live. And it's interesting right here that Jesus does some correcting in this verse, and he says, listen, some of you better get a hold of this. Because the day's gonna come when you're gonna stand before me and you're gonna say, Lord, Lord, I went to church every Sunday. I got a 30 year old Sunday school pen. I can quote the Lord's Prayer. I have 52 translations of the Bible. I have a Jesus freak bumper sticker. And you know what he's gonna say? I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practiced. And so when I look at that, I think, it all comes down. Do I want to obey Him? Do I want to live for Him? And again, there will be people that will be upset on that day when God said, I never knew you. But but God, died, And it's going to be a sad day. But the ones who live on the narrow grove and say, you know what, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to serve God and I promise you guys, to serve God wholeheartedly, it's not hard. It becomes a joy. And for 20 years of my life, I lived for the devil. That was hard. That was hard. But when I gave my heart to Jesus, man, things begin to Change. And so I've had the privilege through the grace of God to run this race now for 35 years of my life. And there's days that are easy enough. but you know what, I'm gonna gonna live for God, I'm gonna live for God, I'm gonna live for God. And there's times that we need each other where we look at each other and say, get back in the race, get back in the race. Pastor, get back up. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.